Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Racing New South Wales and the Australian Turf Club will present a feast of Group 2 racing at Rosehill Gardens on February the 20th, including the time-honoured Hobartville Stakes, the Silver Slipper for the two-year-olds and the Millie Fox Stakes for the fillies and mares with prize money of $200,000. One week later, it's back to Randwick for some Group 1 action in the Chipping Norton and the Surround Stakes with a great support program. The Group 2 Sweet Embrace and the Group 2 Skyline should shed some light on the Golden Slipper, while the great Guy Walter will be remembered with the running of a Group 2 race named in his honour. Serious racing fans are straining at the leash as Sydney Racing presents a magnificent autumn carnival for 2021. You'd be struggling to find a simpler but more striking set of racing colours on the Australian turf than the Tate families, all red with a white cap, carried by a succession of top-line horses over many decades. For the past 30 years, most of the family horses have been bred, managed and raced by Sandy Tate and his sister Jill Niverson. The foals have been reared on the lush pastures of Gunong Jugrawa, the historic family property on the Murrumbidgee about 24 miles from Gundagai. The family passion for thoroughbreds can be traced to Sandy's grandfather, Peter Tate, who part-owned the 1925 Newmarket winner, Valiard. He later raced a good stayer called Indian Chief, who was a close second in the 1950 Metropolitan, before failing with George Moore on board in Commie Court's Melbourne Cup. Following the death of Peter Tate in 1951, the family's racing tradition continued under the guidance of Sandy's parents, Daisy and Griff Tate, who in the mid-1950s took the first step towards creating an equine dynasty when they purchased a young star kingdom mare called Dark Jewel. When Daisy and Griff passed away in the early 1990s, it was left to Sandy and Jill to renew the registration on those famous red and white silks and to continue the dream with the descendants of Dark Jewel and other thoroughbred families created by their parents. Sandy and Jill have managed the project with great expertise and have enjoyed spectacular success with some very special horses. Direct from Gunong Jugrawa, where he's been raising quality merinos, Hereford, Aberdeen Angus and thoroughbreds for most of his life. I'm delighted to welcome Sandy Tate to the podcast. Long overdue, Sandy. Good morning, John. Great great to talk to you. Well, the red with the white cap popped up again last year when Cherry Tortoni, trained by Patrick Payne, won four races in a short time and ran a cracking fourth in the Victoria Derby. How's he coming up this time? Um, Patrick said he's he's progressing well, John. I think he'll he'll run next Saturday at Flemington in the mm-hmm. C, C, CSA Stakes. I think it's called mm-hmm. fourteen hundred. 
So we're really looking forward to seeing him back in action. Cherry Tortoni isn't from the Dark Jewel line. He's out of a half-sister to tie the knot and was actually the last foal from Whisked who died foaling. Yes, that's, that, that's correct. Um, she was, uh, you know, she's a, she's a, a, a nice mare and, you know, she's done, done, done well as a broodmare. Mm. This is Tortoni. Yeah, Tortoni, yep, that's right. Now, I thought I was Im- imagining things for a moment. I happened to catch an Adelaide race on Sky Racing on Saturday and I saw the famous colours, the red with the white cap on a horse called Cafe Tortoni, started favourite and ran second to good girl Bella. Patrick Payne must have sneaked him over the border. Yeah, that's correct. He had a number of run- runners yesterday in, in, in Adelaide and, you know, Cafe Tortoni ran a great race. He's a very, con- very consistent horse by, um, by reset and I think he, he probably deserves a spell now. Mm. Sandy, you and I share the same birth year, so you well remember the Tate horse who was one of my great favourites in the 1950s. A compact chestnut with a big baldy face and two or three white feet. In fact, he was a smaller version of Apache Cat. Stirrup Cup was his name. He was no champion, but he was very genuine and he won a lot of races in Sydney. Yeah, ridden, ridden by Stan Cassidy, mm. uh, trained by Phil Alotta, and he was raced in partnership by uh, Dad and my Uncle Gray. And uh, Uncle Gray uh, would have bred him. Yes, he, he wasn't really of, of Group 1 standard, and yet I, he went to Brisbane once, Sandy. I think he ran in a Stradbroke. Yeah, he was a, uh, yeah, he was a flying handy, what I would call a flying handy cap horse. Mm. Not, 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 of the top, not top level. Well, he, his flashy looks and the colours, the all red with the white cap, really stood him out. And as I recall, he was quite a favourite with the Sydney punters back then. Yes, he, he was. You know, he was a very, very nice, consistent, consistent horse, and uh, um, they, he he did well. Your family connection with Phil Alotta went back to the nineteen twenties, when Phil was actually apprenticed to a trainer called Frank Marsden at Randwick, and Phil was the strapper of your grandfather's horse, Valiard, when he won the new market in 1925. Well, it's, it's, um, that's a, a fantastic bit of research, John. I think you've done well. <laughs> yeah, Phil, by his own admission, Sandy, was a pretty average jockey, but he certainly made his mark as a trainer in later years. Yes, he did. There was a... In Sydney at that time, you know, when he when he later in his later in his life, there was a, a number of talented tra- trainers um, of the same same vintage. Um, uh, Frank Dalton, yes. Jack Green. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a number of them, and they you know they did they did wonderful things with things with racehorses. Yeah, Peter Lawson and Ted Hush are a couple yep. more that come to mind from that golden era. Phil a lot of gained his trainer's licence in the early 1940s and he went on to enormous success, really. And your mum and dad were clients for many years. I think they appreciated the fact that he was a small team trainer. He never had more than 12 or 14 in work and he was very hands-on. Yes, he was. He was an amazing conditioner and especially two-year-olds, I think. I mean, 
his record with two-year-olds was extraordinary, or especially mm. with my parents' two-year-olds. Yeah. Um, heirloom, uh, uh, heirloom uh, birthright and uh, baguette. Baguette um, and attentive was another one. Yes, attentive was another one, and they mm. those those three were full brothers and sisters out of Dark Jewel, mm. and um, they won the Marmaron Plate um, when it was a really serious two-year-old race, mm. um, and one of the highlight, or really the two-year-old highlight of the spring. Mm. Phil Alotta was actually the trainer of Dark Jewel, and he did well to win three city races with that filly because she wasn't top class. She won two at Canterbury and one at Warwick Farm. She had limited ability, really, Sandy, but she was a lovely filly by the boom new stallion Star Kingdom. In fact, I think she was from his second crop. Her female side was very deep and very strong. I think Phil bought Dark Jewel at the yearling sale for Pat Osborne. Now, he was related to you, wasn't he? Yes, he, he was a second, a second, a first cousin of my mother. Mm. And a very keen, you know, very keen racing man. Mm. How did Dark Jewel come into the possession of your mum and dad? Well, I think the story there, John, is that uh, um, I think Phil ended up owning Dark Jewel. I think he, mm. might, he might, may have bought it from from Pat Osborne, mm. and and then he, I think he wanted to, to send it to stud with Dad in partnership, but I think Dad wanted to just own her himself. So that's that's how that one worked out. Mm. And, uh, you know, she was an amazing, amazing mare and had wonderful attention from my mother, who was a very very good horsewoman and dedicated to the to all her horses, mm. whether successful or not successful. So, you know, she was a real animal lover. Yeah. Uh, dogs, uh, horses were top of the list. And cattle. Uh, more dogs and horses, I think, <laughs> really? and and the children too. Oh, I of mean, course, of course, we, we we got in the picture a bit, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, breeding historians rate Dark Jewel one of the most influential mares of her generation. She had eleven foals, ten of them raced, nine of them won, two of them were elite performers, Baguette and Cabochon. Yes, they were. I mean, uh, both. I mean, Baguette. Was an incredible, uh, credible two-year-old. I mean, he unbeaten and won, you know, the, won the Grand Slam of two-year-old races, and uh, and Cabochon was of the same class. I would say he was a, a slower developing horse by Edmundo, mm. but an absolute top notcher. Mm. And uh, I suppose one of the highlights was as a three-year-old, um, he, he and Tobin Bronze head for head in in the Doncaster. Mm. Um, and Ken Howard, I think, had to, as as always, he was right on the ball. Mm. Um, he 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 beat uh, uh, beat our horse by a short half head. Correct, it was only a nose in it. Yeah, we'll and, just uh, quickly run through her foals, Sandy. Gingerbread was the first one by Wilkes. He was a precocious two-year-old. He had brilliant speed. I think I read that somewhere along the line he ran a nail through a front foot on one occasion. He seemed to get over it, but he was never the same again, according to Phil Alotta. Yes, he was a very good early two-year-old, uh, being by, by Wilkes. Mm. Um, and, um, 
yeah, it was disappointing that he he didn't go on with it, and that would have been probably the reason I think, because mm. he had a lot of early ability. A second foul was called Powella by Rawson, who hadn't set the world on fire. He won only one race, but it was in town. It was a Warwick Farm race, and Stan Cassidy was in the saddle. Yes, Powella. He wasn't. I mean, he wasn't as good as as good as his his brothers. I don't think. But the interesting, he was called Powella because that's where the, my property, the property of my of my grandfather, where where mm. Dad grew up ah. in Queensland. The third foal arrived in 1960, a beautiful filly by Rigo, the stallion she really clicked with. Now, Heirloom won her first five straight, and the fourth, as you mentioned earlier, was in one of the most thrilling Maribyrnong plates ever. Stan Cassidy rode Heirloom, and she and a top cult called Time and Tide, ridden by George Moore, went nose and nose over the last furlong, and as I recall, Sandy, that photo finish result took forever. Yes, it was. A, it must have been a long drawn out. I was in Eng- England at the time, and uh, mum, mum sent me uh, Bert Bryant's call of the race, mm. which, which I, um, you know, a few months later, I kept playing over and over again. Mm. Um, it's one of the reasons, I suppose, I'm really keen on racing. I suppose you just, uh, mm. just c- catches your imagination, especially a win like that. Mm. She was. A very, very good filly. Well, Phil, a lot of surprised a lot of people uh, in that same week when he opted to back Heirloom up three days later in the Mimosa Stakes on Melbourne Cup Day. Not the sort of thing that Phil Alotta made a habit of. She won easily, and that little man of Italian descent really knew his horses. He certainly did. I mean, it was an amazing because she would have had a hard race on Saturday, mm. and uh, the filly she beat on, I'm pretty sure, the, the filly that she beat on, on the Tuesday, on Melbourne Cup Day, was um, Ripper. Yes, and she clashed with Ripper again a couple of years later, which we'll get to. Now, right. Heirloom Sandy, as a three-year-old, went back to Melbourne. Do you remember her winning a filly's race at Caulfield one day called the Maroona Handicap? She had nine stone ten. Yes, I mean, yeah, that was an amazing win, really. I mean, just, just incredible. Just shows you how good and genuine she was, mm. and and very classy. Mm. And uh, again, the brilliance of of, of Phil Alotta to 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 get it, to get it to that race and and win it. Mm. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story that you may never have heard before about heirloom. And the story was told to me years later by Stan Cassidy. When she won that Maroona handicap at Caulfield, the leader, Anna Rose, drifted off the fence in the straight and Heirloom dived through the opening and got up to win with the big weight. Now, those two fillies clashed again in the Thousand Guineas and Heirloom was in behind Anna Rose as they came around the home turn and Stan Cassidy believed that she was waiting for that rails run to happen again. Anna Rose, she didn't want to come to the outside. Stan told me she was reluctant to come outside Anna Rose, and he always felt she was so clever, so smart, and so perceptive that she was waiting for that rails run to come again. 
Uh, it didn't. He eventually got her to the outside and they dead-heated in the 1,000 guineas. Yes, and, and two two fillies of absolute top class. I mean, it just um, – mm. and, uh, and a rose trained by Bart Cummings, I think. Uh, yes, she was a South Australian filly and Bart yep. would have been in Adelaide at that time. Yep, so mm. um, um, just amazing, amazing bit of racing history. Heirloom raced really well in Melbourne and a year later – uh, she contested a Group 1 sprint, or what would now be known as a Group 1. Uh, it was called the Craven A Stakes. Uh, Stan Cassidy retained the ride, and she was beaten a nose by Ripper, a filly yes, you mentioned. Yes, that was the same year, same, same year, John, I think. Oh, was it really? Y- yeah, mm. I think so. I mean, that's how good they were. Yeah. And I think uh, Time and Tide would have been in the, in, the, in the finish, I think, too. I think it's just mm. a bit... It, in, in something along those lines. Yes. Yeah, uh, Ripper beat Heirloom very narrowly. Yeah, very. It was very close. Mm. Uh, and, uh, again, and Ripper was an absolute champion too, clearly. I think it's fair to say Heirloom was a certainty beaten in a Stradbroke when she ran third after bombing the start. George Moore was the rider on this occasion, and I don't know whether she was flat-footed or sitting back on the gate but when they jumped, she was a clear last out of the machine. And, yeah, well, she ran, a, ran an amazing race that day. Just incredible. I mean, just probably one of those things, I mean, that, that do happen. Mm. Um, and you've got to, in those sort of races like a Stradbroke, you've got to have things go your way a bit. Um, otherwise, you're in a bit of trouble. Mm. Phil Alotta said she was the best mare he trained. Yes, well, that's it, fantastic because he, he had some good ones. So. Uh, she was such a genuine and and not a very solid mare, but not not big. Mm. Oh no, nineteen sixty two. She had a cult by Wilkes, and your mother Daisy named this cult Beetlejuice, which is a famous star in the Orion constellation. He wasn't a Group One horse, but gee, he was genuine. He won eleven city races. I think I think Beetlejuice was out of dark jewel. Yes, yes, he was. He yeah. he was her nineteen sixty two foal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. and uh, he was a good, uh, but he had he had a problem with his teeth, and you know that, um, and that that probably came against him a bit, I think. But um, he would have been a full 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 brother to Gingerbread. Correct. Yeah, he was a yeah. flying uh, he was a flying handicap horse, better than Stirrup Cup, I'd say. Yes, I think he was better than Stirrup Cup. Yes. Not by a lot. No, no, no. But mm. he's, he's a big, he's a fairly big, gangly sort of horse. Yes, he was long striding horse. Yeah. Now the yeah. next foal, Sandy, we've already mentioned him, uh, was Cabochon. He was by Edmundo, and he was a headliner. You mentioned his close second to Tobin Bronze in the '67 Doncaster. Yeah. Later, he cantered home in an Epsom. He also won a Stradbroke. He ran second to unpainted in another Doncaster and he ran second to Black Onyx in a Doombin 10,000. A lovely, lovely horse, Cabochon. Yep, a lovely chestnut horse and a real, out, you know, in, in, in the baguette class. I mean, mm. you could have a debate um, amongst us whether which was the better horse. I suppose everyone would say baguette, but mm. he was in the same class, I think. Your mother was very keen to send Dark Jewel to Rigo again, 
and this time she had another filly, a full sister to Heirloom, and as it turned out later, a full sister to Baguette. Uh, She was bigger than Heirloom. Uh, Her name was Birthright, and like Heirloom, she too won the Meribonong Plate and five or six other races. Yeah, she was a she was a she was a very good a very good filly, a different build to heirloom, mm. but you know classy, especially to win a Maribyrnong Plate, um, and you know she 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 had a lot, a lot of ability. Her nineteen sixty seven foal was the one your parents had been waiting for. Another Rego, this time a lovely brown cult. Sometimes he looked almost black. He had a big white star on his forehead and your mother called him Baguette. Now, in a nutshell, he was unbeaten in seven runs as a two-year-old. He was the third one out of Dark Jewel to win the Meribonong Plate. As you said earlier, the first two-year-old to win the Triple Crown, the Slipper, the Sires and the Champagne. And later on, he won a Newmarket, a Doombin 10,000, a Canterbury Stakes and a George Main Stakes. He had 15 wins and 11 placings before being syndicated to stand at Kiora Stud, I think at the time, Sandy, for an Australian record price. Yes, I would. I mean, it's amazing what what stallions or cults bring now, but you know, it, it was, it, it, they were just, people just starting to understand how, how good Australian uh, uh, cults were as, as potential breeders. Mm. And he, he did he did very well as a as a as a stallion, and he didn't live live to a long age. No. So, uh, but you know he he was good. I think he saw. I mean, you sort of. I mean, he. I mean, Vane was the standout. I mean, standout mm. two year old of his time, mm. and we came along the year after. I think is that correct? I yes, think? it is yeah. correct. He he won yeah. the Baggett won the slipper. A year after Vane. Yeah, and so I mean, he, what, what a stallion, um, what a racehorse he was, and what a stallion he was too. Mm. Um, but as a racehorse, he was, in my opinion, uh, un- unprecedented as a as a two and three year old. I mean, what he did, um, and what he did at Flemington, winning winning on three days, I think. Yes, Flemington, which was more like the old, real old days. Yeah. Um, but gosh, he was a good horse. Vane, just amazing. I think Baguette sired about 18 stakes winners, and it was lovely to see him in turn sire a slipper winner in that filly of uh, Neville Begg's Dark Eclipse. Yes, and that was the same year of our filly uh, fiancé, I think. Um, and yeah, uh, It was, yeah. And, and Neville, Neville had a stable full of, of all the best fillies in Sydney, I think. I mean, mm. you know, it wasn't one or two, it was about five. That's correct, um, yeah. Just incredible, really. Yeah, fiancé actually started favourite in that slipper. Yeah. Now, Dark yeah. Jewel left other winners, Star Facet, Lucy Manette and Briolette, all city yeah. winners, but obviously inferior to the Cabochons and the Baguettes, but they did help to keep Dark Jewel's breeding record at that elite level. Yes, I mean they were they were good horses, but not not the class of the ones that had gone before. I don't think. But um, yesterday, Profiteer, mm. who won, he's he's a he's a direct 
you know, won the millennium in mm. absolute, what, six by six or seven lengths, I think. Amazing uh, win, yeah. And uh, he's a direct descendant of um, of Star Facet. It, right. And and Star Facet and, and the next dam, therefore, is Dark Jewel. Yeah, going back to Dark Jewel. That's mm. correct. And she was, she never, uh, I don't think she raced. Or she didn't. She didn't do any good, anyhow. No. So, um, but anyhow, she she's turned out of you know that's a family that's sort of pretty pretty on the move at the moment. Your late mother Daisy earned a measure of fame for her ability to come up with the most creative of names for her horses, especially the progeny of Dark Jewel, Cabochon, Baguette, Briolette were all named after diamonds or gemstones. Do you recall uh, Daisy agonising over the choice of those names? And this is pre-Google, Sandy. Yeah, that's right. No, she 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 put a lot of thought into into naming them, and got came up with all these wonderful names. I mean, and as they were good racehorses, that all it worked out well. May I nominate my all-time favourite name created by Daisy Tate? Yeah, I'd love to hear that, John. It was a mare called Of Two Cities. She was yes. trained by Neville Begg after Phil Alotta's retirement. Now, she was by Bull Tail, T-A-L-E. She was out of Lucy Manette, who was by an English stallion called Dickens. And the mare was named, of course, for the classic book, A Tale of Two Cities, written in the 19th century by Charles Dickens and Lucy Manette, was a character in that story. I always felt that was Daisy's best. You know, it was a, it was a fantastic name, isn't it? I mean, and she was she was a, 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 a good filly without being brilliant. Mm. I mean, she she won the uh, lead up to the up to the AJC Oaks in in the uh, uh, on the sat on the Saturday. So, you know, it was a, it was a stakes race. Adrian and Knox. Adrian Knox. That's it. Yeah, and then. She also came third in the in the. She, then she came third in the Oaks, and she came third in in the BRC Oaks. Mm. To yeah. none other, none other than Surround, I think. Yeah, fancy running into. <laughs> you're taking Surround. on a bit. You're taking on a bit there. <laughs> well, Neville Begg trained of two cities, and he became your exclusive Sydney trainer when Phil Alotta retired. I think around about 1984. You had a wonderful association with Neville, who turned 90 years of age two weeks ago. Yes, he, um, Neville's just, just an ama- amazing, such a nice man and, and, a, and a fantastic trainer. And when, then he, reti- he retired and went to, to Hong, Hong Kong and, and mm. Graham took over the string and he, 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 trained, he, trained, uh, he took over the training of, of Whisk. Yeah. And so that was the, sort of, that, that was the continuation. Yes, and he won a Group 1 with Whisked, uh, the 1,000 guineas. Yep. Now, let's talk about a beautiful mare called Spinning Hill, trained by Guy Walter. From 40 starts, she won 14. She ran 14 placings. She won almost 2.3 million. She was by Dolphin Street out of Incline, who was by Century out of Rise, and Rise was by Kairu Star out of Blue Mountain, and Blue Mountain was out of Heirloom. Dolphin Street was the stallion. We didn't see too many of them uh, around that same time, but he was uh, 
A he, spinning hill was a good advertisement but he for was him. Pretty, he, was a pretty, he was a pretty good stallion. Mm. I mean, he, he produced other group one, and he, he won... Um, I can't. He won a. He won a, an important Group One in in France. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm very. You know, always been keen on on these on the import on the on on the imported stallions that mm. come from overseas. And I suppose, but they don't all work. But that one certainly worked because she's absolutely, mm. you know, wonderful filly. Spectacular I've got quite filly. A good sto- I've got quite a good story about Spinning Hill. Um, we said, you know, we. You know, she went in a bit later in a in a two year old season. I think probably I think she ran as a two year old. But anyhow, she arrived down with uh, uh, at at Guy Walters, and anyhow, they didn't think didn't think too much about her. She had Bathurst burrs in a in a tail, mm. and uh, anyhow, he must have put her against the clock clock one mo- one morning, and he he, he said, uh, "This is uh, you know the story afterwards." But he told me, "We better get those Bathurst burrs out of the tail." <laughs> Did he? That's the sort of humour he's got. Yes. He was a delightful, absolutely delightful man. He and, certainly was, the late uh, Guy Walter, and, and, uh, and we he had a dry, him. wry sense of humour, didn't he? He did. He mm. didn't mind telling stories against himself, really. <laughs> no. And, uh, and he was, you know, he was, he was, an, he, was he was a genius, I think, in, as a trainer. Brilliant uh, trainer, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Spinning Hill won three Group 1s. She loved to follow a hot speed and she could come off their backs and let down in great style. You know, she's probably best remembered for providing Frankie Dottori with a rare Australian win in a Group 2 race at Mooney Valley in 2002. I bet Frankie still remembers Spinning Hill. She got the monkey off his back. Yeah, I mean, he... uh... That that was I mean that was one of the you know sort of wonderful memories of of racing for us. Mm. I mean Frankie um, um, winning the race on her. I mean it was you know again a brilliant a brilliant ride. He just sat off them and and she came over the top of them. Mm. And uh, it it was um, uh, normally Patrick Payne was riding her, and but Patrick was wasting I think to ride northerly in the Cox Plate. Which he won, mm. and Frankie, Frankie was able to take the ride for us. It's time for us to pause for a break, Sandy. On the podcast, we'll be back with you after this. With another spectacular English Classic sale done and dusted, Yearling buyers will now focus on the English Premier sale over three busy days: Sunday, February twenty-eight, Monday, March the first, and Tuesday, March the second. 804 yearlings have been catalogued, 590 in the Premier, 214 in the Showcase Session at the world-class Oaklands Auditorium in Melbourne. English believe this is the strongest Premier catalogue ever produced. 75 individual vendors will offer the progeny of 118 stallions, including several impressive first-season sires. 466 of the yearlings are Vobus nominated, 474 are Bob's eligible. Since 2018, 15 Group 1 winners have come out of this sale, including top liners like Nature Strip and Santa Ana Lane. Email catalogue at inglis.com.au or call 03 1422. Remember, Every yearling in the catalogue, 
will be eligible for the rich English race series in 2022. The English Premier Sale, February 28, March 1st and March the 2nd. Guy Walter also did a great job with a filly called Wild Iris, who won the ATC Oaks in 2004. She'd been a maiden, hadn't she, only a few weeks before winning that Oaks. That was a pleasant surprise. Yes, it was. I mean, you would hope for the best, but that was sort of a remarkable story because she was running in, in races at the provincials and, you know, wasn't really in the in, inside it much. Uh, I think she might have been unlucky or whatever it was. But anyhow, um, a, a midweek 1,900-metre race at Canterbury and uh, Larry Larry Cassidy rode her and uh, she happened to win that. So we then went to the... Uh, race on the Saturday, the Adrian Knox, mm. she, she won that really well, and then she won the Oaks. I mean, absolutely yeah. um, um, amazing um, training, I'd say. Yeah, she and jumped out of the ground, didn't she? She did, absolutely. I mean, you, mm. uh, you, you just couldn't believe that you were there. I mm. mean, it's, it, it was amazing. I mean, and she beat, I think she beat a, beat a filly who won an Adelaide Cup or something. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. it was pretty, pretty classy, but... She, she was, you know, she was a very, very good filly, and he, he, guy got a right just on, 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 on that in that period. Bart Cummings style got it a peak on the right day. Yeah, that's right, absolutely. Mm. Well, she did a good job too at stud. She produced a pretty good filly later by Bernardini called Zanbar, who won one point three million. She won seven races. Second in a Victorian Oaks, second in the Australian Oaks in Sydney, second in a Queen of the Turf, and she won the Emancipation Stakes twice. Yes, yeah, she was. A, you know, she was a she was a lovely, lovely filly. Um, and I mean, uh, John after Guy trained her to come second in the Two Oaks, which was, you know, amazing. Um, and and then uh, I sent her to. To uh, Patrick Payne, and yeah. we didn't have. She didn't seem to like it down down there, and uh, then she went to John Thompson, who did a remarkable job with her because yes, he did. She came second in the Group One and mm. and and won um, two Group two Group Twos, I think, mm. and then the Group Three in the uh, race at Newcastle. I mean the Tibby. Tibby, yep. And uh, yeah, she and she's a she is a lovely she's a lovely lovely mare. And uh, she's got a filly by Piero, and uh, and then a filly by uh, mm. uh, by the Dali, uh, uh, the really good Dali stallion. Lonro, exceed Nixil. Ah, beg your pardon. Yep. Yeah. It was a great stallion. Now, just before we get on to one of your all-time favourites, let me change the subject completely by saying that you were no slouch in the saddle yourself early in life. And I am reliably informed that you were a very good exponent of the game of polo and that you were a member of an Australian team who walloped New Zealand in a test series on their home turf in the early 1970s. Now, I Sandy, don't think the... we, I don't think we walloped them. Um, <laughs> it was it a very, very close series. Was it? And, yeah. And... Uh, we played. I mean, we had a. We took our own. We took our own ponies across, mm. and it was a. It was a memorable trip, really, because we went. I went with uh, Sinclair Hill, Richard Walker, and Hugh McLaughlin, mm. um, and 
and uh, anyhow, but it was it was a, 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 a fantastic trip, and we won. It was about 14 matches. I think we were there for four or five weeks, mm. and uh, yeah, it was, that was a, that was a really a, mem- a memorable trip. Um, and so, you know, polo was very it was a very Im- important time um, for me in that in that regard because we were mm. playing playing a tournament at, at Young um, at Tomb, on the property Toompang, mm. and uh, I think it was when Cabochon won the won the um, I think we were in the middle of a match or something, just about, and they played it over the loudscape, the loudspeakers. Yeah, Cabochon, yeah. Cabochon winning the winning the uh, Epsom was it? Must have been the no, it would have uh, been uh, Stradbroke. Stradbroke, I think. Mm. Yeah. So anyhow, that's two. The two overlapped a bit. Memories. Yes, memories. That's for sure. And Polo uh, was, you know, absolutely in 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 my time. Club polo was just it was it was amazing, wonderful, mm. and such a nice group of people played. And, um, now to the horse, Sandy, yep. changing yep. the subject again. Yep. Who gave you and Jill the ride of a lifetime between nineteen ninety seven and two thousand and two? The remarkable tie the knot, sixty two starts, twenty one wins, seventeen placings, six point two million in prize money. He won 13 Group 1s and he was placed in another seven. Did you actually send his mother whisked to New Zealand to visit the stallion Nassapur? Yes, I sent, I sent, Jill and I sent two mares, highlights and, and whisked. Mm. No, and, sorry, uh, uh, hi, highlights and, uh, hang on, I've got, got myself mixed up. Mm. Highlights and, um, and whisked, yeah, and, and whisked, yeah, mm. that, that that was correct, and then uh, um, and I, we got a got a colt by Nassapur, which was tied the knot, mm. and we got a filly out of Highlights who was called Accent, mm. and she won a couple of races for Sue Stripe at Wagga, yep, and tie the and tie the knot, um, did 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 great things for us. Mm. There were so many highlights with that horse, Sandy. Do you have a favourite win, a favourite performance, a favourite memory? Well, I think, I mean, just to pay credit to the horse, his win as a three-year-old in the Sydney Cup yeah, and, and, and beating Doremus, who'd mm. won the Melbourne Cup, it was a pretty amazing performance, I mm. think. By six I mean, lengths too, I might add. No, 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 no. That was it, the other it, Sydney it, Cup. No, it was the other Sydney Very close. Mm. It, it, we only just We only just got there, but... If you're taking on Doremus over two miles, you know oh, you've yeah. got a race. Yes, uh, and three rolls don't have a good a good record in 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 the, in the uh, Sydney Cup. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the one before who was a very consistent horse. It was Veloso, I think, and might have won a Sydney. Mm, yes, he did. Mm. So you know, that's uh, you could nearly put the two that had done it. I mean, probably mm. in the in the modern era. I think. You know- Whenever the Chipping Norton Stakes comes around every year, racing men will think of Tie the Knot, who won it in four consecutive years. And it was a Group 1, too, in uh, in his day, a Group 1 each of the four wins. It took winks to equal that record, but no horse previously had gone close to four. No, no, it was an, an, an amazing, amazing performance. 
I, I know when he Patrick Payne, Payne wrote him in the in the last one, and I mean he 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 sort of he was ended at his career. He was a seven year old, and uh, fifty meters past the post, he pulled up. He won the race, but he mm. said, "I've had enough of this game." <laughs> yeah. He was that intelligent. I think he was he was telling us something, mm. uh, and uh, it, you know, that, and all those all those wins were just extraordinary. I mean, you just you, like like being on a magic carpet. I think that's right. Just, uh, he he just he just kept he just kept standing up and 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 performing against <laughs> the very best. Sixty two starts is a big workload for a thoroughbred. Five seasons of racing. He was sound. He was consistent. He was genuine. He was a horse in a million. Yes, I mean to us, he was the one in a million. I suppose really, mm. uh, and I suppose I think of Tyler Knott. I think of, of Spinning Hill. I suppose they're two, mm. t- two absolutely, you know, outstanding horses. Superstars. Uh, yeah, superstars. Spinning Hill was a superstar. <laughs> she was great mare. Yeah. I notice your wife Kathy's name appears from time to time. In the ownership of horses, is Kathy an avid fan? Yes, well, she's 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 fantastic. She gives gives us all the support she can, um, and it, it makes you know it's lovely to do it as a family. I suppose mm. we've all i i i grew up with you know my parents racing horses and and uh, and all my my children grew up with a, with their with their parents racing horses. And so they're all keen too. So that's a, you know a very satisfying thing. Your sister Jill Niverson is the widow of Simon Niverson, one of the most passionate country racing men I've ever known. Jill chose to stay on in Walker following Simon's sudden passing some twenty years ago, uh, maybe over twenty-one or twenty-two years. Didn't Simon Niverson love a race meeting? Yeah, he's wonderful. I mean, he's such a such a supporter of racing, and you know, a real, and really, you know, understood, understood racing so well, and a supporter of country racing, and he, and his father was a great supporter of country racing. Yeah, and uh, I think he was on the TAB board or something like that at some stage, and did a lot, lot of good things for racing. Mister Nicholson, senior. Your sons, James and Ollie, are heavily involved in racing in two different spheres. James, firstly, plays a key role in the running of the business and he doubles as a Sky Racing commentator at Southern District's race meetings. And I've been very impressed with his cool and composed style and that style led him to a wonderful opportunity in 2016 when he was selected to call the Country Championship final at Randwick, won by Clearly Innocent, and he did the job very well. No, it must have been a it must have been a big day for him. I mean, it would be absolutely nerve wracking oh, yeah. at such an important occasion. And I mean, hasn't those series of races been a success? Wonderful innovation, uh, such as the provincial championship, and yeah. the the weekly tab highways have been a shot in the arm for country racing too. Oh, they've been marvellous. I mean, it's just I think <laughs> the administrators of racing, you know. All over Australia, I think have done it, and and New South Wales especially have done a wonderful job for our racing. I mean, it's just you know, it's, Australian racing is really thriving like it's never, it's never missed a beat. I don't think. Whenever James isn't at the races, he's performing the duties of a grazier, 
which is very much in his DNA. I'm assuming, Sandy, that he calls on you from time to time to provide expert consultation. No, no, James is his own man. He he does it all in all himself. I mean, he's he's uh, his his knowledge is is profound, and uh, he's a very very good judge of of horses and racing, and he, he's done it all himself. I think it's very impressive. I mean, especially doing all these other you know other things he's got to do, and and with with his family. No, he's a he's a great fella. Ollie Tate has a comprehensive background in racing on an international level. He played a major role during the setting up of Dali in Australia and he went to work for Sheikh Mohammed all over the world. He was away for 15 years. He actually spent time on the Breeders' Cup board in the United States and on returning to Australia, he and wife Amber purchased and set up the Twin Hills stud at Cootamundra which had previously been owned by Third Calvin, Mike Willisey and the Ingham Brothers. That place has got some history. Yes, it's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful property and uh, Mike Willisey did a wonderful job in, in setting it up uh, after buying it from Third Calvin. And, you know, it's, 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 and Ollie is taking it, you know, taking it forward, which I think is very exciting. Now, we've got to mention the stallions that Ollie stands at Twin Hills. He's got Denman, who's done a very good job in his own right, Hallowed Crown, who's a son of Street Cry, Odyssey Moon, who's a son of Schnitzel, and Smart Missile, who's had a string of stakes winners. And I think Ollie um, also adjusts horses too on the property, doesn't he? Yes, he has a number of horses. You know, it's a, it's a, full, a full-time working stud and... Uh, it's you know it's it's it's, go, it's it's going going really well and they've done a great job job in 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 keeping it keeping it at at the at the top level. Mm. In an era of sky high stallion service fees, those horses at Twin Hills are real value sires. Yes, they are. I mean, it's uh, the stallions in in in, in Australia. Are, a standard very very high price, but I mean that's a worldwide trend, I would think. And uh, but you know, Ollie's done very well with the stud, and hopefully it'll it'll keep keep going ahead in in the future. You know, the success you've had is all the more remarkable when you consider that you've bred from only seven or eight mares over all those years. Is that still the number? Yeah, that is about that's the number we've got got at the moment. And uh, that's about. I think you know. I've <clears throat> I've always had too many mares. Mm. That's the nature of the game. I think. Oh yeah. Just, yeah, just. Uh, but you know, you just you, if you're going to be it, you, you've got to you've got to be in it to to win, I suppose, or to be you know to have have some success. So we're, we're still punching along and trying to do our best. You enjoy having a horse or two in work in your own region. And you have a handful of horses in the Wagga stables of a very astute horseman in Tim Donnelly, who was a guest on this podcast a few months ago. Tim trained successfully in Sydney for quite a few years, but he decided to head back to Wagga in the early 2000s, and he's doing a terrific job. Yes, I mean, Tim's a, Tim's a great trainer, 
and really gives the give, gives the horses every opportunity to to succeed. And uh, no, no, I think he's, he's excellent. And uh, I also have horses with David David Blundell at Gundagai, who's a, yep. a very very fine horseman. Yes, and when he sneaks one to town, it's to be respected too. That, that's right. He does. He, he seems to love love going down the highway. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly does for a tab it's, highway. Yeah, tab highway. That's what he. he I've, I've got a I've got a slow one with him at the moment. And he said, "We'll go. We'll go for the highway." <laughs> Did he? Yeah. I think. I mean, it's probably too slow. I think you've got to you've got to have a quick horse to win a highway. He was a jockey too, wasn't he, David Blundell? Yeah, he's a very good amateur jockey. I think. Mm. Ab- ab- absolutely, and a, a very. He's he's. A, well, I'd call him a horse whisperer. Um, yeah. Very, you know, fantastic with with horses, and mm. he gave Kathy. Uh, a wonderful um, horse called Doc, who sort of excelled at, at events at, at at rodeos or um, you know or, or shows, mm. and uh, so you know we've had we've had a long a long association. Sandy, I had the pleasure to interview you briefly several times during Tie the Knot's glory days. But this is the first time we've comprehensively covered your amazing journey in Australian racing. It's been a hell of a ride, hasn't it? It has. I mean, r- racing, I, I just think it, it's such a wonderful game and uh, we've been very fortunate to be part of it and hopefully we can continue continue to keep doing it. I think, you know, it's, it, is, it brings back so many di- different memories and you could keep you could keep me talking for a couple of hours, but uh, uh, but I don't think you want to do that. You get pretty bored pretty quick. Oh, I don't think so. I've enjoyed every minute of our chat on uh, the Supernova Sound podcast this morning. Sandy, give my very best to Kathy and to I Ollie. Would. I hope he breeds a champion on the lush pastures at Twin Hills, and to James. My very best wishes for his future as a racing commentator in particular and wish him good calling for me. I will do that, John, and thank thank you very much for the interview and, and thank you for the wonderful contribution you've done for Australian racing. I mean, you're just amazing. And not also and also congratulations on, on the great success you've had in the in the trotting world too. I mean, um you are a real legendary horseman of Australia. So um, I hope you have, have lots more success and, 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 and good health. Kind words, Sandy. I appreciate them very much. And you've been listening to Sandy Tate on Supernova Sound Podcast. <laughs>